Welcome back to another episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Benedivo. Today, we're thrilled to welcome a special guest, David Mercer, the CEO of Elmex Group. Elmex Group is a leading player in the global foreign exchange industry, and under David's leadership, it has maintained its agility and innovation in a rapidly evolving market. In our conversation today, we'll delve into David's journey at Elmex, from its early days in foreign exchange to its current position at the forefront of the industry. We'll explore the art of keeping a business agile and how to effectively structure an organization in a dynamic environment. David will provide us with an insider's view of how exchanges, including crypto exchanges, actually function. Towards the end, he will share his vision for the future of the exchange and crypto markets in general, and will impart his advice for those at the beginning of their careers. So without further ado, let's jump into our insightful conversation with David Mercer. And with that, a warm welcome to David Mercer of LMAX Group. David, how is it going? Where are you calling in from today? Good to be here today, Josh. I'm calling from sunny London in a nice spring morning. Sunny London. That's a beautiful office there. That's awesome. I think uh, the plant's even, even real. There we go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So I guess please start off and, and give our listeners a bit of a background on yourself and your journey. I know you started a bit in traditional finance and then how you eventually ended up in fintech. Cool. So this could, I'll, I'll try and give you the, the short version. So hi, everyone. I'm David Mercer. I'm CEO of LMAX Group. We operate five exchanges globally. Four of those are in fiat foreign exchange and one is crypto. Me personally, I was born and bred in Belfast, Northern Ireland, moved to London when I was um, 11 or 12. Um, and then I started my career in accounting in London initially and then in banking for a decade then in the broking side of the business, whenever online trading was becoming the new thing in the 2000s, and then the last decade. I guess, what were some of the large problems? I know that you say technology is at your core now, but what were some of the large problems that you saw on the institutional side before you started at LMAX, where you were coming into LMAX and you said, this is something I really want us to focus on. This is an area of growth that I think we should really think about. Or maybe something that that would be like a technological implementation that you saw somewhere else that you really wanted to to make sure was a focus. The LMAX, I looked at the largest asset class in the world, which is foreign exchange. So foreign exchange trades $7 trillion a day. Yes, that's a big number. Yes, that's lots of zeros, 12 zeros. And I sort of think, okay, this asset class, how does it trade? How does it transact? And you think this was in 2011, and you'd be amazed that a lot of the trading then, and even today, is still done on a telephone or using very basic point-and-click UIs. And you sort of looked at this asset class and thought, well, there has to be a way we can add value there. So, And it wasn't that we were the first people to think about it, but what we had was fabulous technology and a very agile technology development methodology and an agile approach to business. So we simply set up an FX marketplace that harnessed the best of modern technology and created a level playing field, if you like, and said, look, if we were, um, if we were designing a brand new market, this is how we design it. Is this useful to you? And useful to you being the customer, and who are those customers? They are banks, some of the biggest proprietary trading firms in the world. They're brokers, all the way down through to family offices and then individuals saying, you know, is this product something you'd use? Does this harness this modern technology? 
do you understand it? And is it, uh, is it a real value to the marketplace? You said something that, that makes me want to ask a question to you, because I know we spoke about this actually just before we started recording, but, uh, but now I, I, you said something, you said agile for business and agile in financial services. So is that your definition of fintech? Because at the end of the day, you know, as you said, all financial services need to incorporate technology. There are just some that are more quick to adopt and more that are more slow to adopt. So do you think that's, that's your definition? Is that these are just companies that have this agile methodology, this like benefits and user, almost user and customer focused methodology and are able to implement that quickly? Is that your definition? So, so yes, I'll take you. So yes is the short answer. I'll take you back a little bit before we take you forward. So I've stolen that from um, the world of technology development. You know, it's a, it's a development methodology, agile development methodology. Traditionally, where I started back in banks, a methodology was waterfall technology. So what does that mean? We specified everything. So every process that we were trying to automate, we specified it. We wrote big plans about it, um, big specifications on it. And then the, the smart guys went out and coded that, and then you delivered that. But that delivery... From that specification to the delivery timeframe might be a year or 18 months. And typically, the delivery didn't work, had hiccups, or was actually out of date. Um, that The same was true in the year 2000 as it is the year 2023. So what Agile methodology did was break those stories down right, and use uh, continuous feedback loops. Right? and release many more small changes into into your system. And and actually, that scared me when I first encountered it. I only encountered it 10 years ago. I was like, oh, my God, we are changing. We're going to change the backbone of what we do, the core of our business, the core software we operate on every two weeks, 26 times a year. Wow, that's huge risk. And the technologists who had adopted this agile methodology said, actually, it's less risk, David. We're making smaller changes more often. So then you, then you go, okay, well, so you buy into that from a tech standpoint, and you go, well, how do I operate my business? Your business can't operate on a three- to five-year time horizon if your technology is updating every two weeks. So to answer your question, yes, you must... That, that bite-sized chunk approach allows you to adapt more quickly, more readily, to adopt new technologies um, more easily, and I think keep up with whatever's happening in the world around you. I mean, with the best will in the world, I can sit here now and, and profess to understand market structure in crypto or foreign exchange or overall capital markets. Um, if we recorded it, timestamped it, and released it in a year's time, I'd probably be wrong. That's the speed of evolution. So yes, I think the agility, the good companies are all agile. And th- there's names that would surprise you there. Some of the biggest banks in the world are very agile, right? You see them cutting edge, pushing out products to keep up with, say, the, the neobanks. The, the software companies are, 
the biggest software companies in the world are certainly agile. The biggest procurement companies, logistic companies in the world are certainly agile. Um, and it just means that they're constantly ad uh, adapting, adopting, and evolving. If I rely on last year's business model, if they rely on last year's business model, they're going to fail. What we have to have is a, what we all have to have as successful business people is to have a flywheel that keeps turning, right? So in a way, you can move that to the side. That's business as usual, and then you spend eighty percent of your time focusing on what's next, what's new, what's novel, and how it can benefit my existing core business. That's awesome. As a product person, I totally appreciate that, and it's super interesting to hear that some of the big banks have this agile med methodology. I think from my experience, I've seen, I won't name names, but I, I have seen, you know, banks have technology, they'll have like an API, but it doesn't feel agile. It feels like, you know, a group of software engineers were given this five years ago and just said, hey, go work on it. And this is the end product. And yeah, I, think, I, mean, I think that's true. I mean, that's also true, Josh. So it depends. I mean, we can't, it, we don't mean all banks and we don't mean all right. large institutions. Yeah. I mean, one of the key ideas about, um, agility is continuous improvement and continuous integration. And that word is key, Josh, continuous. Right. Exactly to what you were just saying there, right? We design it now. It's brilliant now. We deliver it in three months. It's fantastic. If we don't touch it for a year, and when you have a team, so like if I, if I look at my management team at LMAX Group, for example, that might be the, the immediate team might be 10 people. That needs to be cohesive. And I have to tell you that if one part of that team of 10 isn't a team player, doesn't have that agile approach, it will actually break the whole 10, right? So you, you, you have to be very, very certain, very, very sure when you create those teams or those pods. The modern parlance is when you create those tribes. And then you go, so it's not a pyramid system because then they all have their own pods, their own tribes right? Their own management teams. You've got to make sure that culture filters down and is consistent across the business, particularly, you know, where we started and we started discussing fintech, so finance and technology. You know, what I have here is I make sure that we actually avoid a lot of middlemen. So my CTO will talk to the revenue heads of, of my business. So they'll talk to the revenue head in LMAX Exchange, the revenue head in LMAX Global, the broker, the revenue head in LMAX Digital. So they speak the same language. And so they all understand the importance of that agility. And that filters all the way throughout the business. I mean, you'd be amazed if you came to my office today, you'll see us have a stand up and I'll be sitting and I'll be sitting, I'll be standing at 9.30 in the morning in a meeting with my software developers, my network engineers, my revenue heads, and at times the operation staff or the compliance staff, because whatever we're building affects all of them. They must understand the goal and they uh, must, be, must be aligned in that. But it's, I'm not going to tell you it's easy. It's time consuming. And if you're a leader, you must be devoting I don't know, not quite the majority, but a significant proportion of your day and your week and your annual year to managing and enhancing that team. 
I could talk to you about this all day. That's so interesting. I mean, we, it's something we learn about in business school all the time is cross-functional teams, having all those people in the same meeting. Um, yeah. And it sounds like a great environment that you set up there. Again, I could talk about it all day, but uh, I do want to ask, for the sake of our listeners, I guess, set up a bit of background of what is LMAX Digital. What was your vision for it originally and, and kind of when it first debuted? It's like after the, after the fact, you can always um, paint a greater picture of your vision, right? So let me take you back a little bit again. So LMAX Group, as I say, exchange operator, mainly in foreign exchange. We trade about $25 to $30 billion a day. All the biggest banks in the world, all the biggest proprietary trading um, firms in the world, about 200 brokers and a range of family offices. We list about 100 currency pairs and we trade indices, uh, metals, commodities. So you hear about this blockchain thing in the... Um, at the start of you know, the middle of 2010, 11, and you hear about it, you read about it on Twitter, it's kind of interesting. There's these new computer science um, geniuses coming up with it. It sounds interesting. Somebody presented us to in 2013 within LMAX. Frankly, we were busy doing fiat foreign exchange. And then in 2017, suddenly my biggest customers in LMAX exchange, part of LMAX group, started to talk to us about crypto trading. So guess what? We had to be agile, Josh. We had to go and learn about it. We had to go, I had to go and find out in my organization who understands this stuff? Who's trading Bitcoin? And you find out, oh yeah, I've been buying Bitcoin since it was 2014 when it was at a, at a dollar. And you're like, why didn't you tell me? And they say, well, I did, but it wasn't that interesting. So then we go, okay, um, what's the requirement here? We looked around everyone else out there. There's lots of well-known names, you know, uh, almost household names now that were operating in retail in crypto. But I'm looking at my marketplace, an institutional FX marketplace, and saying, well, what can we add to the party? And spoke to those customers. All the proprietary trading firms who traded FX were now trading crypto. I said, well, what do you need? And they said, we just need a fast, efficient, institutional-grade exchange or infrastructure where I can get in and out of risk or mitigate my risk with like-minded participants. Because I'm trading on 50 retail venues the world over. And all of a sudden, I accumulate a position in Bitcoin and Ethereum, and it's over my risk limits. And I want to exchange that risk with someone else I'm used to, right? be they in London, New York, Chicago, Amsterdam, or whatever. So we took a look at it, and actually we went, ah, oh, you know what? This looks very much like a an FX exchange. So technically, it was everything we did already. You know, we process between four and six billion orders a day already. We cancel and replace orders in, in 50 microseconds. We process maybe a 100,000 orders in any one second. We can accommodate hundreds of instruments. So that bit was easy. BTC, USD, Bitcoin dollar, easy. ETH, USD, Ethereum, easy. One problem. You didn't have the um, plumbing, the infrastructure that you have in capital markets in crypto. So oh, how do we do it? So, of course, we just we were, you know, we're simple people. We go back to first principles, call up your bank and say, hey, we're about to launch this exchange. Can you store Bitcoin for us? No. Uh, can you pay back out our customers Bitcoin? No. Damn it. So we thought we better go and understand a bit more okay, this isn't so hard. We need to go and integrate with five blockchains because we did Bitcoin, Ethereum, XRP, Litecoin, and Bitcoin Cash in the first instance. Added a bunch more now. 
technologists went, yeah, okay, this is we can we can integrate with the blockchain and we can cre- create a custodial solution, which you don't have to do. I don't have to do in fiat foreign exchange because I have prime brokers and I have custodians and I have banks. So that was it. And literally it took us, um, I like to say in sort of it's a farming analogy, really, we went from field to fork. Right. Just how we started the conversation, starting from what are the benefits that I'm going to bring and then from there yeah. deciding what to build. This is kind of just, uh, I want to nerd out for a second. How do exchanges actually work, uh, especially Bitcoin exchange? You know, what is an exchange? Well, they've been going for centuries. Just technology has made them more accessible. So the secret to capital market success, by the way, is market access. That's it, right? It's how do we, uh, and that's the whole idea, actually, of the Satoshi white paper in the first place, if you think about it, decentralized, trustless, anonymous but it's all about market access how do i how do i open this locked door um to more people so all an exchange really does is match buyers and sellers it's as simple as that in terms of bitcoin you said you know, what, what does a person do what actually happens well i'm a, at the moment i'm a centralized fiat on ramp and off ramp so we quote fiat to crypto so it's bitcoin dollar so typically, you turn up with a dollar, you want to buy a Bitcoin, you go into the order book, we match the buyer and seller, you've transferred your $1 that you've deposited in your customer account with us, and you now own a Bitcoin. I sit on that Bitcoin for you, you can take delivery of it yourself and store it yourself. So it's not this idea about centralized exchanges have to sit on the, on, uh, on the dollars or the coins. No, you come in, transact, you can immediately leave. An interesting challenge for the likes of us, some more buzzwords out there, you know, decentralized exchanges, et cetera, is how can centralized exchanges like LMAX and centralized liquidity interact with decentralized finance? And I think that's um, eminently possible. And that's some of the things we're looking to adopt and adapt into so that you, Josh, can just turn up with your DeFi wallet. Um, commit your funds and match an order on a centralized exchange like LMAX Digital, um, take delivery of that asset, Bitcoin, Ethereum, wrapped Ethereum, and take it back out to your wallet. So that's a very, ex- apologies to anyone who's an exchange evangelist out there, but that's, a, that's my layman's view of what an exchange is and how we operate it. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's definitely a good background. Um, so let's say on the cutting edge, what you're thinking on the cutting edge is saying, hey, someone can come in with their wallet Yep. to your exchange and they'll put dollars in and then LMAX will transfer Bitcoin or whatever the, yep. the currency is into their wallet. So that's what happens today. That's, a, that's literally what happens today. We settle dollars and believe it or not, we settle dollars 24 hours a day, seven days a week and the same with cryptocurrency, so Bitcoin and Ethereum. So typically- Is it, is it instant know, settlement? How long, how long does that usually take to settle? Actually, because we, we're institutional, it's a, that's a choice. I mean, again, that's- uh, are getting delving into the into technology here, but there's always a balance between speed and security. So on an institutional basis, we choose to settle and our customers choose to settle once a day, right? So you aggregate all your trades because, because you're an institution, Josh, you buy and sell many Bitcoin every day and you literally have many buy orders, many sell orders. We aggregate it and then we have one net settlement where I send you Bitcoin, you send me dollars or vice versa once a day. But to be clear, everything is possible. 
if you want instantaneous settlement, it means things have to be hot at all times. But that's the bit I've just described to you in there. You can trade from your um, DeFi wallet onto a centralized exchange and take it back out to your um, decentralized wallet. It's not quite instantaneous. Don't believe everyone who tells you it is. It actually takes, it depends how long it takes for, for, for the next block. But let's just right. say it's going to take right. a few seconds for that settlement, full settlement and full trade cycle to complete. So how do you, as LMAX, stay at the, as an exchange? How do you stay on the cutting edge? What, what is the cutting edge right now for blockchain in terms of what are the benefits that are looking to be brought out that are probably maybe not yet in- implemented without spoiling too much of your, what your product roadmap looks like? Look, for us, I'll rewind a little bit and speak to the, maybe some more of the institutional um, listeners out there. It's difficult. We need to improve institutional adoption of crypto. We can't do it um, on our own, but there's a few things we can help with, right? We can help with the reputational risk, okay? So let's try and do everything the right way. You've seen these crises where everyone well-documented in 2022, right? Be it a Bahamian bazaar um, to uh, an algorithmic altercation, right? We've seen all those bad stories. We've seen all those bad actors. So what we can do within LMAX Group and LMAX Digital is operate as if regulated, utilize best practice and best standards, especially when it comes down to AML and KYC that we use in traditional markets. So uh, we we can do that. We can show the institutions um, that collectively this can be a safe product to trade and that they can trade it in a way they understand, i.e., you can harness your existing fiat technology or traditional finance technology to interact with this new asset class. We can talk to regulators about rather than writing swathes of new regulation, right? So back to that evolution, not revolution. For what it's worth, from a David Mercer standpoint or an Almac standpoint, we see no value in fighting regulators and legislators. We think solutions only come um, through collaboration um, and working with them, helping their understanding, education and collaboration. Like I come from, I told you I come from Belfast in, in Northern Ireland, right? These, are, these people were poles apart. We've just celebrated 30 years of peace because people collaborated and there was a large education process that's still going on, right? And people um, didn't draw lines in the sand and they compromised. So we think there's an education required and a collaboration with regulators so that we create a framework. But the institutional, the institutional world today needs a framework in which it can operate. There's a lack of clarity today. And make no mistake, because some of the evangelists out there are going to say, uh, listen to listen to David. He's coming from a status quo, gray-haired traditional finance approach. No, this is a very small asset class today. It's one trillion dollars. There are two hundred trillion dollars of of institutional assets in the world. You represent half a percent. We need more of that to be allocated to crypto. The way for that to happen is to work with them, um, not against them. So that's really the part we can play. And look. We've got to add more product. We've got to find solutions for, I talk about the ABC, 
solutions for adoption, solutions for banking, solutions for credit. We must not just talk about them, we must build them, we must deliver them, and we must provide better market access for all, and we must create an ecosystem that can persist in the, for, uh, for one or two decades ahead. So look, it's, it's, a, it's a constant battle, but you know, make the mistake, crypto winter or not, um, this technology, these assets are here to stay. Institutions will trade them. If you're working on it right now, you're working in the right place, in the right area. I'm convinced that this crypto flower will bloom and this blockchain technology will blossom. But I think it was probably Franklin or somebody who said that, but you know, you can't choose exactly the day or hour when you'll see it bloom, but bloom it will because the seeds have been planted. I love that. So if someone's at the, I mean, my next question, someone's a little bit younger, they want to capture, they want to be there for the blooming, let's say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you think would be the best place for them to start in their career or focus on learning in terms of, or which sector, let's say, would it be exchanges? Would it be DeFi protocols, DAO protocols? It's interesting because I have a lot of, a lot of friends who have um, young, young men and women coming up, right, just finishing um, university now, entering their 20s, entering the workplace. And I have that question. Look, I think you've got to find your own area of interest. I, mean, I, can't, I can't force you in. You're either enumerate or you're not. You either like numbers or you don't. I just had a, a meeting today with um, our latest intake. And I said, you know, we hire people from, with all skill sets. I've got, you know, graphic design artists here and I've got rocket scientists, literally, who used to work at NASA and the Japanese Space Agency here. So we cover everything, right? And we hire school leavers all the way up to PhDs and 30-year and 30 professionals. So they've got to understand what their calling is. But if you've decided you want to be in finance, you want to be in capital markets, you know, get on a, get on a good training program, join a good company who has this who has a forward-thinking approach to learning. The biggest compliment I've had, Josh, in my whole time of working, my whole time at LMAX, was from a young woman who just passed probation here at LMAX, and I said, is everything okay? Are you enjoying your time? And she said, it's great. And I said, oh, why is it great? And she said, you have such a great learning culture. It's that. Join a company that has training program and has a learning culture. And from your part, just be world-class at everything that takes no talent. You know, Turn up on time, work hard, show great energy, have positive attitude, um, be prepared for everything, be passionate. Right? And I'd say just do maybe what I did you know, all, that, all that time ago, spend some time learning about everything that's new. Some of it you're going to throw away, right? I've learned lots of useless stuff in my time. Um, who knows? Especially with a lot of these blockchains, a lot of these new tokens are great computer science experiments. They're not all going to work. Take the time. Learn. And learn some, learn some stuff you're going to chuck away. A bit like when you learn Greek or Latin, right? If you're not a doctor, you, you, know, you probably chuck most of that away. Um, by the way, well done for everyone who, used to, who kept up with it and entered the medical profession. But it's like that. Just, I think you must be inquisitive. You must be inquisitive. Uh, you must be 
you must want to learn. Ask as many questions as I said today to the, to the latest intake. You know, first six months, ask as many dumb questions as you can because they're not dumb. We expect you to we expect you to know nothing in the first six months. After six months, we expect you to know something. But yeah, so I think you know, get right. Look at what's happening right now. Look at the change and get involved in the areas in in finance, in capital markets, in foreign exchange, in crypto that are changing and have the um, perhaps the biggest opportunity of transitioning the underlying subject matter. I mean, I guess that's what I did. You know, just when I was doing simple things like learning spreadsheets, and nowadays people are learning. Python and blockchains and and that type of thing. So yeah, um, they're in they're in the right spot if they focus there. Well, Elmuk sounds like a great place to learn. On that note, are you guys hiring? Always hiring. Always genuinely, Elmuk is always hiring. And that's a, another sort of tiny business lesson, Josh. The one mistake I ever made was when we uh, stopped hiring. I said to you because it takes a long time to start it up again, right? Right. We don't like, of course, things speed up and things slow down. But yes, we're always we're always hiring. There's a careers lmax.com, but we're always looking we're always looking for talent. And um, you know, we've been throughout from COVID onwards. We're at our highest headcount ever, and uh, typically, I think our headcount's grown by about fifty percent in wow. the last two and a half years. So there you go. Well, you're gonna get a flood of applications now. <laughs> um, I welcome them. <laughs> awesome. Uh, okay, so we're getting towards the end. I guess just the last kind of fun question. What do you like to do on your spare time there in uh, beautiful London? Yeah, beautiful London. Well, when I'm, I travel a lot for business, which I enjoy, right, to be sure. So I'm, I'm, I probably travel 40 to 50% of my time. So um, wow. some of that sort of, as I get older, I'm discovering that I enjoy recovering from jet lag. No, but typically I'm always normally, I'm pretty active. I've done a few expeditions in my time, you know, I've been to the trek to the North Pole, wow. climb Kilimanjaro. I've done all these type of things. And at the moment, we're a few days away. I'm running a marathon. Um, I have run wow. a marathon. I have run a marathon before, but I haven't run one in in eleven years at this age and these creaking bones. So, um, yep, I'm giving that a go. We'll be in the well. By the time this goes to press, I'll have run the marathon. I'm hopefully still still be alive. But I've enjoyed the training, <laughs> and it's good to feel. Um, now that we're allowed out again and we're behind we're behind all of the pandemic, it's good to feel the air in your lungs. So yes, I enjoy the great outdoors. Is that a, is that a Garmin you have on your wrist there? Garmin one? It is. Phoenix 7, um, not to give them too much of a shout out, but yeah. <laughs> it's a great watch. I'll tell you why. It's the Phoenix, the, the Phoenix is awesome because it's multi-sport. So yes, yeah, yeah. I love to play golf as well. And uh, so it's good for my golf, good for my running, good for swimming and everything else. And it even keeps the time, believe it or not, Josh. Wow, super cool. What was your favorite hike that you've done? Uh, oh, look, it was hard to go past the North Pole. That was just, wow. um, that was just, I love meeting Canadians because um, I go, oh, how far north have you been in Canada? And generally, I've always been, uh, I've been further north than them. But look, they just, <laughs> right. I don't think I'll surpass it until I do the South Pole. The South Pole is on, is on my bucket list just because I want to be the top and bottom of the world. Um, it's just very hard to imagine what that looks like. And I can't, I can never do it justice by taking a picture or, or writing about it. You really have to see it to understand it. So I think that's it. But look, you know, I come from, I come from Ireland. 
Um, I live in the British Isles. We have some beautiful mountainous regions here. Um, there's some challenging ones as well. The rest of Europe would say that we don't have any mountains at all because they're so low. Um, but right. some beautiful and arduous hikes you can you can get involved in. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, David, for the time and uh, and have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please like or comment on social media, or even consider leaving us a review. It really helps us spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast, or you can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Medium, at Wharton Fintech. And there you can find interviews, articles, and so much more analyzing all aspects of the fintech industry. As always, thank you to our editor, Rafael Saria. And until next time, I'm your host, Josh Benedivo.